increase in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see here. Um, if you got your Bible with you this morning, on the screen we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 11, but if you've got your Bible with you or you're following along, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but first we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1. Yeah, go ahead and put it up there. Yeah. I'm just giving, giving some time. We're good. We're good. No, no, we're good. No, I got this memorized. We're good. I could have done that one. Thank you, Jesus. Anyways, let's go ahead and go to uh, Proverbs 11, verse 1. If you'll look up here at the screen. This is in the King James, and I like the way it's, it's worded in the King James. It says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say a balance is abomination to the Lord. But a false balance is abomination to the Lord. But a just weight, or we could say a just balance, is his delight. And uh, what I just want to talk about for just a minute is balance is good. And God wants us balanced. And uh, a lot of times, you know, when, when we come into a revelation of grace and a new covenant, faith, uh, we get this idea that balance is bad. And, uh, you know, people can, you know, I, I've even, I've, I've seen ministers say that, you know, balance is, is just a legalistic term. It's not. Here, the Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, listen, Everyone is balancing one way or another, and if that balance is off, that's an abomination to the Lord. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like when we're too heavy on one side, right? But uh, this past, well, about two or three weeks ago, I, I had the opportunity to, to minister to a group in Texas uh, over Zoom, and they specifically asked me, they said, will you minister on balance? And, uh, and, and that's what I did. But this is actually the way I look at balance. I don't, you know, I've had people say, well, well you know, you're, you're a balanced teacher. I don't see myself as a balanced teacher as much as I see myself as a balancing teacher. And I don't think there's balanced believers. I think there's balancing believers. That's been my experience. What do I mean by that? There are times where, uh, you know, for example, grace and faith. There are times God will have me heavy on the grace end, Right? Uh, I just went through like a nine, ten month period where I preached grace and faith righteousness so heavy. I made so many legalists mad. I went to one church and preached it. A bunch of people got up and walked out. Uh, like I preached it heavy. But then over the last two or three months, God's had me going back and I'm more here over here on the faith side. And what we're supposed to do in response to God's grace, what we're supposed to do in response to what He's provided. And I've done this long enough to know that I'm not always going to be on that end. That there's going to come another time when God starts putting me on back on the grace. You know, so it's balancing. There's never that perfect balance that I find. Now, people who have heard me over the last nine, ten months, they may have heard me over the last two months and said, see there, he was wrong about that stuff and he's, he's countering it. No, it's always the kingdom works with a paradox, right? It's, 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 and I, I use this example a lot, labor to enter into rest. 
That's a paradox. It doesn't seem to make sense. Work so you can rest. Right? That doesn't seem to make sense, but that's what we're called to do. So now there are things that we can't balance. Right? We can't balance grace and law. We can't balance the new covenant and the old covenant. But we can, there are things we can balance. Like I said, we can balance grace and faith. Uh, we actually need to balance grace. There's two sides to grace. There is grace that is the unmerited free gift of God that you can't earn, that God gives to you, not based on anything you've done or earned. But then there's another side to grace where God is the strength of, or, or grace is the strength of God, His ability and an empowerment to do what He's called us to do. So we have to learn to balance those things, right? Um, but what I'm going to get on today is I'm actually going to talk about works. And we need to learn how to balance works. Because what you're going to find out is there are dead works and there are good works. And we're going to find out those things are two totally different things. And, and, you know, for, well, and law. Law is another thing we need to balance. We emphasize heavy the law can't save you. The law can't save you. The law can't save you. The law can't. That's a false abomination because that's not the only side of the law. There's another point to law where law may not save you, but it can be used to point you to what can save you or who can save you, and that's Jesus. Right? It can contain the wisdom of God. We never earn our righteousness by it, but it can give us instructions in righteousness. Right? So there's balance here, and we need to find that. And uh, I had an, uh, an experience. You know, I heard God a few weeks ago. We had an a army meeting, the, the ministry association that I'm a part of, Andrew Womack's ministry association. We had an army meeting a few weeks ago with, a, if I said his name, most of you would know him. I won't say his name. But he's this super charismatic, nationally known speaker. And he's awesome, right? And, and a few weeks ago, we, we had our Zoom meeting with him, and he spoke to us. And when, I, when it was over, I thought, man, I feel so good right now. Like, I feel that dude pumped me up. I'm going to start preaching like that. You know, and he, he's not really a person who's like verse by verse. He's more, he brings out principles and, and things like that, and then he'll use scripture to back up what he's speaking rather than actually just teaching the Bible, if that makes sense. And I just heard the voice of God so loving say, Grant, you are a Bible teacher, right? Now, let me say why I'm bringing that out. I have got to the place where I don't want anyone to call me a grace teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. Don't call me a faith teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. Now, as I teach the Bible, I'll teach grace. I'll teach faith. I'll teach eschatology. I'll teach, you know, spiritual warfare. I'll teach all these things that we tend to like to label ourselves um, you know, I'm not against someone having, I think God raises up people to, to major on certain things, but my call is more broad. It's just I'm called to teach the Bible, right, in, in a broad a variety of subjects. But anyways, we have to become balanced believers, right? That, that's really where victory is won because everyone I've seen go down a bad road, it's because they're, they're, they've got this false balance, and they refuse to let God try to balance them out, right? And it, it just, it's setting us up for defeat. So, see, what we got to understand is mixture, I'm going to say this one too, mixture isn't bad. 
right? That's also become a mixture's not bad. It all depends on what you're mixing together, right? You can take some ingredients together and mix them together and make a bomb, something that's destructive. Or you can take some ingredients, mix them together, and make a cake, something that's enjoyable. It, mixture's not the problem. The problem is what is being mixed. So we, we don't want to mix the wrong things, but if we can mix the right things and ha have a healthy view of the right things, then we can, we'll have more to enjoy like that cake, right? All right, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the role of works in a believer's life. And I believe this will help us. I believe this will give us balance. And here's, here's a, a verse that, that you know, you probably quote, but I like to look at it. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now something I want to point out here, notice in verse 9, and we're going to come back to this later, but this is a point I want to make now. Notice it doesn't say not of good works. It just says not of works. So in other words, there's no kind of work that can save us. None, right? We've got that established. Nearly, I don't know of a denomination or anything that will teach that our works save us. Now, they may disagree on our works keeping us saved, but now as far as what initially saves us, every Christian is in agreement, works can't save us. Good, no matter how good, no matter how loving, our works cannot save us. It's all by grace through our faith, right? Um, so we see real quick that works can't save you. Go with me to Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. So works can't save us. We've got that established. Let's look at, look at something else here I want to point out, and we're going to come back to Ephesians 2 in a minute. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? So back in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul has just made the argument that we are saved by faith. Our righteousness comes by faith. All right, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Look here. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So how did Abraham become righteous? He believed. Right? It wasn't about his good works. It wasn't about anything he'd done. It was just he believed God and that gave him righteousness. Verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. In other words... If our works played a role in our salvation, then it's no longer a gift. It's God is paying us because our behavior is good, right? We're, we're doing the work. God's paying us salvation. Verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So look here. Who does not work? To him who does not work. In the Greek, does not work. Those three English words is one Greek word. And it's in the present tense. So we could translate this, but to him who is currently not working. So to him who is, is saved but still, to him who has faith but is still not doing good. 
The fact that he believes on God, it still justifies him. It's still his righteousness. So, so here's what I'm bringing out. Your works can't save you. Here's the one Christians have a problem with, but it's what this is saying. Nor do your works maintain your salvation. Right? We did a, a three-part series on that uh, months back on the security of the believer. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. As far as your, your acceptance before God, as far as your righteousness is concerned, your works play no role in your salvation, either getting it or maintaining it. Okay? Is not working. The one who is currently not working but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted to him for righteousness. Right? So, uh, Fred Price used to say, works didn't give it, works can't take it away. Right? See, I, I, I like that dynamic. I like that way of looking at it. Um, but here's what we want to talk about this morning. I, I want to start with this. There are two types of works that we want to talk about in the New Testament. There's, there's actually three, but I only want to major on two this morning. There are good works and there are dead works. Okay? There are good works and there are dead works. Now, it's interesting to me that in the New Testament, the distinction isn't between good works and bad works. Because that's, that's how legalism tends to, to separate works. Well, there's those things that are good, and then there's those things we do that are bad. Good works, bad works. But the gospel divides good works and dead works. All right, And we tend to get those two things confused. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we've seen that it's a gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Go ahead and go down to verse 10. No, you're fine. Go ahead and go down to verse 10. Um, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now notice in verse 9, He didn't say good works. He just said works. But here in verse 10, He says good works. Right? And notice it's we, it does not say we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus of good works. Because if it said that, then that would mean our salvation was because of our good works. But we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. Right? Do you see that? The reason a lot of people, Christians, were upset this past weekend is they don't understand this principle. Because it's just, oh, we're not saved by good works. Well, nobody's arguing that we're saved by good works. Right? But now we're saved for good works. Right? Which God prepared beforehand that we should. Notice it doesn't say must. But we should walk in them. So in other words, there are things... There are good works which God prepared before the foundation of the world and He wants us to walk in those good works. Our salvation is not of good works, but it is for good works. Alright? Um, and so here's the whole point. See, good works are, performed, are not performed for righteousness. Good works are performed from righteousness. I do good works not so I'll have right standing with God. I do good works because I have right standing with God. Right? See, and here's something else I want to point out to you. 
we go around saying this, and I'm, being, I'm going to be a little bit of a stickler here, but we go around telling people, listen, your good works can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Biblically, the only people who can perform good works are believers in Christ. Notice that's why it says in verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He didn't say not of good works, only works. Okay? Biblically, only believers can perform good works. Now, I'm not saying every single thing that an unbeliever does is bad. Unbelievers can do noble works. They can do just works. They can do virtuous works. They can do good for this world. They can do good for you. They can do good for me. But it's still not a good work, biblically speaking. What do I mean by that? Go with me to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 and 17. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, look here. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Verse 17. So he, being Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandment. So here's what I want you to... There's a lot of things we can bring out here, but here's the only reason I'm here. Jesus is saying there's only one who is good. And that one who is good is the only one who can produce good. So if our, the source of our works aren't God, then the work can't be good. Because God's the only one that can produce good. So if God's not living in you, it doesn't matter how virtuous the thing is, it's still not a good work because its source isn't God. Now, God may use it, God may, God, God may uh, uh, lead you in that direction, but because you're not in union with God, it's still not good. All right? So, so that's an important distinction because good works are only those which have God as their source. Now, go with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. So that's good works. Let's look at dead works. That's the wrong verse. Hebrews 6 verse 1, that's okay. Uh, Hebrews 6 verse 1, it talks about we need to repent from dead works. Alright? Repent from dead works. Now, what are dead works? A dead work is something that is incapable of producing life. It can't produce life. Alright? Um, for, you know, I use this example. You can give a dead man a shovel and tell him to help you dig a ditch and he'll never do anything. Why? He's dead. A dead man can't get anything done. Right? So a dead work is a work that can never produce life. And, and now dead works can be simple acts. It can be. Now, there's... A lot of times in grace service we said, oh, dead works are just that which you do to be right, try to do to be right for God. That's true, but it's just any work that doesn't produce life. Adultery will never produce life, right? Uh, 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 stealing will never produce life. Murder will never produce life, right? These things will not produce life. And when, we're when I'm saying life, I'm, I'm not just talking about physical life, obviously. Okay, I'm talking about anything, uh, peace, joy. You can't do these things and live in peace and joy and love. All right. So, uh, but now a dead work can also be, remember we balance, 
So there is dead work, which is sinful acts that can't produce life. But then there's dead works that are those things which we try to do to be right with God or to keep us right with God. Uh, here's How do I know if something is a dead work or, or not? Um, a dead, here, here's the litmus test. If there's something you do, if you are to not do that thing, do you think it changes your standing with God? Do you think it changes God's willingness and desire to bless you, to help you, to heal you, to prosper you, to favor you? Right? Do you think it, 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 it disqualifies you from that, that one thing you do? Right? So, and this is what I mean. So, if you, well, come into church this morning. If you didn't come to church this, if you came to church this morning out of fear, well, if I don't, I might have a bad week. If I don't, I might not get this or that. If I don't, right, God might not look down upon me in favor. That is a dead work. Now, I'm not saying it's not useful for you to be here. You might have got here and got talking to people, and you're glad you came. But still, if your heart was, if I don't come, then dot, 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 when it comes to God then that's a dead work, right? Does that make sense? So good works are not for righteousness, but they're from righteousness. A dead work is not from righteousness. A dead work is for righteousness. Do you see that? So they're opposites. They're, they're, they're polar opposites. Now here's something important too. So remember I said a good work can only be performed by believers, Dead works can be performed by believers and unbelievers. Dead works aren't just for unbelievers. There are plenty of Christians operating in dead works. We're still trying to do things, uh, we still try to do things that will never produce life, that will never produce joy, that will never produce peace. Right? That is a dead work. Um, and here's the thing. Dead works are always as far as a believer is concerned. Dead works are always the product of a believer not understanding his righteousness in Christ by faith, through faith, and the finished work of Jesus. That is the only reason for a believer to get into dead works. The only one. There is no other reason. you Because when you know that your righteousness is in your faith in Christ alone, then you know there's absolutely nothing you can do to change your standing with Him. But as long as you don't have that anchor, as long as you don't understand, yes, my works didn't save me, and nor do my works maintain my salvation. When you understand that paradox, when you understand those two things, you can't get into dead works. Because you know I don't have to earn a thing from God. If He gave me His Son, if He gave up His Son for me, will He not freely give me all things? Right. So, so the, the solution for dead works for any believer is get anchored in your righteousness in Christ. Get anchored in faith righteousness. Right. And, and listen, it's one of the reasons. When you go, as I've went around, like I said, I've preached faith righteousness hard over the last year. And as I've done that, I've made people mad. And you know what I like about that? Is it proves the Bible is true. 
Because we tend to say, how many of you said this? Well, Jesus is the stumbling stone. The Bible says Jesus is the stumbling stone. It does not say Jesus is the stumbling stone. It says Jesus as our righteousness. Faith in Jesus for righteousness is the stumbling stone. That's the problem the Jews had. right? They didn't have a problem with the rabbi going around teaching people. I mean, they, they did, but I'm just saying, if that's all we went around saying was, you know, there's this guy went around for three years and, you know, teaching people the commandments. and They'd be good with that. But when you say, and now when we believe in him, we're made righteous, there's the stumbling stone, right? So, uh, so it just proves the Bible is true, that faith righteousness is that thing which causes people to stumble, right? But we, we, so we need to get anchored in that. So how do we get delivered from dead works? We renew our mind to that truth. It's, it's that simple. And here's the thing. Dead works, what is the root of dead works? Fear. Because if I don't do this, then dot, dot, dot. So the root of dead works is fear. So ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? If you're doing it out of any bit of fear, it's a dead work. The root of good works is always love. Love for God, love for others. But the, the root of good works is always love, and the root of dead works is always fear. And those things are incompatible. There's no such thing as a healthy fear. And I hear people say that a lot. Well, there's a healthy fear. No, there's not. Not biblically speaking, the Bible says that fear has torment. And he didn't say unhealthy fear has torment. Just fear, period, has torment. Right? And perfect love, whose perfect love, God, casts out fear. Right? So if you've got a healthy fear, God wants to cast that out too. Right? He, he's, he, he's never never with us on fear. So listen to the way the Living Bible said that in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. The Living Bible, instead of saying dead works, it says the foolishness of being saved by being good. The Weymouth translation says lifeless works. So here's the thing. What makes something a dead work or a good work? We've kind of already established this, but let me give you an example. It's really all about the intention of what's being done. Why are you doing what you're doing? I'm going to give you an example. A gun. How many knows a gun can be used to harm people, to murder people, and to do bad things? But how many knows a gun can also be used to protect those we love, to protect ourselves and to hunt for food and, or, and, and gain and anything else, right? It's all about the intention of the one who's got it. Guns themselves aren't bad. It's about the intention of the one who's holding it. It's about the heart of the one who possesses it. But they themselves aren't bad. And that's the way works are. Works in and of themselves aren't bad. It's just about the intention with those works, right? Um, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I want to give you an example of this. As I've preached faith, I've had people come up to me and they're like, well, you're making faith a work. And here and forever, I was like, no, I'm not making faith a work. Now I actually... A few years ago, I changed my mind when I read this verse, and now I actually say, yes, faith is a work. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your what? Work of faith. 
So faith is a work, but that's not a bad thing. Now, there are people who use faith as a dead work because their idea is the more I confess, the more I believe, I'll finally get God to... to, He's being stingy, and if I can just get enough faith and prize hand open, He'll give to me. That's faith as a dead work. But faith as a good work says, hey, He already gave me His Son. He'll freely give me all things. Right? So faith can be a good work or faith can be a dead work. Now, look at this. Labor of love. Labor, work, synonymous words. So love is a work, and it can be a good work or it can be a dead work. Do you love out of fear? Well, if I don't love, right, a lot of these same faith camps will say, listen, if you don't walk in love, God will get you. You don't walk in love, listen, you're opening up the door to, to sickness, to cancer, to disease, to everything in the world. That's, that's, and so why do people love? Well, if I don't love, I don't want cancer, so I'm going to go around and love people. Right? That's a dead work. But if you love out of the thought, God lives in me, and He is love. Therefore, I am love. And you love people because you want to see them walking in fullness. You want to see them walking in peace. You want to see them walking in joy. You genuinely, genuinely want to see them happy. You genuinely want to see them blessed. That's a good work. Right? So again... Even something as as sincere and pure as faith and love can be a good work or a dead work. It's all about the intention of the one using it, right? So we've got that established. But now here's the irony. We're going to go to Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Here's the irony of this, and this is where we're about to get into the good stuff. Um, There is an irony that works don't save us. Works can't keep us safe. But here's the ironic statement. But we, every one, every single individual in here, every single individual uh, watching at home, we will, everyone, be judged for our works. Works don't save you. Works can't keep you saved. Works can't unsave you. But you'll be judged for your works. Hmm. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all... All, every one of us, all, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, So then each of us, each one of us, shall give account of himself to God. Every single individual, every single single one of us, one day we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give account of what we've done to Him. Now, we're going somewhere with that, and that sounds like I'm, I'm contradicting grace, but you'll see. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Here's one more. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. Look here. Here's, here's the kicker. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. All right. Let me read this to you in the Amplified Classic. Second Corinthians, yes, I love the Bible app. No, I don't want to give you a review. Uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. No, I don't want to update that, that version. Okay, listen to this. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen to this. This is the important part. Considering 
what His purpose and motives have been and what He has achieved, been busy with, and given Himself and His attention, attention to accomplishing. In other words, um, we're everyone going to stand before God one day. And let me say this, and uh, I also asked for Revelation 20. We don't have to go there. For Revelation 20, it's okay, you don't have to go there. Revelation chapter 20, um, it also makes clear that there are two judgments. All right? Revelation chapter 20, the first four verses talk about how... Uh, actually, let's go. I'd just rather do it and, and yeah. Uh, Revelation 20, and I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who have been, had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for a... Wait, oh, uh, for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So there's a lot of things that people argue about these verses. Is the thousand years literal? Are they symbolic? I don't care about that. When I read that a few years ago, something jumped out to me and it's like, okay, and there's clearly two judgments here. Now this verse only talks about those who stood up for the word of God. Right? Judgment is given to them. This is clearly talking about believers. But now look down at verse 11. Uh, yeah, well, let's go ahead and read this. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now notice, so now notice, not everyone stands before God at this moment because he says there's other dead who they don't live again until this thousand years is accomplished. We're all going to stand before him, but not all at the same time. Okay, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. So the first group, they can, be de- they can be described two ways. They're blessed and they're holy. What is that? That's believers. Right? Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him uh, a thousand years. All right, jump down to verse 11, I think it was. Whatever's the next verse I told you to go to. All right, so that was the first judgment. That's for believers. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. Now, something interesting is... Again, it doesn't say good works. It, doesn't, it just says works. By the things which are written in the books, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Notice there's nothing about those in heaven. There's nothing about those who have been reigning and ruling with Christ a thousand years. This is clearly the group who did not live during that thousand years. All right? And they were judged, each one according to to his works. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's no mention of any of this group getting into New Jerusalem, New Heaven, New Earth. It's just, listen, they were judged and they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, to close this up, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there are two groups 
There are two judgments. Jesus talked about this when He said there's going to be a judgment, there's going to be a division of the sheep and the goats. Right? Revelation chapter 20 is saying the same thing. There's two judgments. And it's going to be, I believe that time is literal. It's going to be divided by a thousand years. Believers are going to be judged first. And then a thousand years later, unbelievers will be judged. All right? Now, here's, here's why I'm getting here. And we've got to understand this in grace. Grace does not excuse you from being judged by God. But grace, what grace does determine is what you will stand before God to be judged for and what you will be judged based on. You will not, as a believer, you will not stand before God to be judged based on do you get to go to heaven or do you get to go to hell. See, forever that was the view I had. I thought, well, you know, on judgment day, that's when I'll find out where I'm going to spend the next billion years. Right? No. The moment you made Jesus your Lord, your eternal destination was set in stone. Right? It's not going to be undone. But you still got to stand before God. What for? So you can be rewarded for the good things. Right? I say, like, now, the scholars make the, the distinction. I don't know if I see the distinction, but we'll, we'll use it. Uh, there are scholars who say that the, the believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment. I'm okay. Let's make that distinction. At the judgment seat of Christ, again, it's not about heaven or hell. Right? You, you, you're already saved. You already put your faith in Jesus. He's not going to stand there and judge you based on your sin. Because you put your faith in Jesus, all your sin was judged on His body, on the cross. Right? So you're not going to stand there and give account for your sin. You're going to stand there and He's going to reward you as a steward. Every good thing that you did, He's going to reward you for it. Now, I think this is good news because this is what this says to me. There's not one good thing that a believer has ever, ever done that they will not one day be rewarded for. And if we're all being honest, we've all done good and then we felt like the pay wasn't enough, right? Like we've been good to somebody and they didn't pat us on the back nearly hard enough, right? We, we, we you know, it just... It's, it's common to feel unappreciated, to feel undervalued, right? But one day, listen, God will bless you in this life, but one day, he's, I, I always say it like this, listen, the judgment seat of Christ for the believer is when you look at God and you say thank you, and then he looks, it back and he, say, he looks back at you and says, no, thank you. And he blesses you and he gives you a reward. All right? And your reward will be tailor-made just for you. Like, you hear me say this all the time. I've got a mansion in heaven, and it's packed with books because I love books, all right? And it's packed with leather-bound, goat-skin Bibles because I love leather-bound, goat-skin Bibles, right? It's all... It's, it's, and here, like, people... Let's go, go with me to 2 John 8. I want, I want to bring this out first before I get talking about rewards. See, there's also an idea, and I'm doing some correcting this morning, but there's, there's some grace books, some grace teachers that say, well, Jesus is our reward. We're all gonna get the, we're, we're, Jesus is our reward. Right? Look here. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for. Those things we worked for. Do you know there's actually nothing wrong with working for a reward? but that we may receive a 
full reward. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I know this. If it says that we can receive a full reward, then that must mean that it's possible for us not to receive a full reward. That we can actually lose part of our reward. Now, if Jesus is our reward, then what are we going to get? A main diversion of Jesus? Only access to Him, you know, every thousand years or hundred years? or No. We can receive a full reward. We work for that reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Who, who will... Uh, that's the wrong one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. That's okay. 1 Corinthians... You're all right. Listen to this. Let's just go ahead and take our time. I, I, we, we need to take our time with these verses anyways. This is good. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. Now, look here. And each one will receive his own reward. Now, the words his own in the Greek are one word. And that word is idios. It's where we get the word idiot. All right, so when you call someone an idiot, now we think that we're saying you're stupid, you're being dumb. Like, No, the word idiot is actually someone who's all about themselves. That's actually what an idiot is. And it comes from this Greek word, idios. All right, and this word idios, listen to this, in the Greek it means pertaining to self, one's own by implication private or separate. Right? So an idiot is somebody who's all about themselves. So what this is literally saying when it says each one will receive his own reward, it means each one will receive a reward that is directly for them and them only. And that this reward will be private and separate from everyone else's. Alright? Uh, like if God gives me a motorcycle in heaven, it's just going to sit there. Because I don't like motorcycles. Alright? Um, but again, it gives me books. I'm good. I'm good. I got something to do, right? We've got to. We need to get this idea of eternity. And and like I said, this might bother people because they say, "Well, that seems like God's playing favorites." No, listen to me. The least reward in heaven will be greater than the best reward on this earth. The least reward in eternity will be better than the best reward here on earth. So the, 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 the one who feels like they've got the least reward in all of eternity, they will not complain. Because it's going to be far better than anything they ever experienced or had here. Because God's good, so He can only give good. He's not, going to give you, he's not going to give you a trashy gift. He's not going to give you a gift that you're never going to use, a gift that you don't want. Right? He, he's a, nobody can give gifts for me like... Keisha. Why? Because Keisha knows me better than anybody. Right? The, uh, I used this example last time I taught this, and I won't go into it all, but, you know, one time Keisha got me a, uh, I mentioned, you know, I, I, most of you know this here, I'm a collector of Bibles. Keisha got me, uh, you know, my dream Bible was always a King James Version, R.L. Allen, uh, Long Primer 52. Right? And that's, yeah, you're like, do they really make Bibles like that? Yep, sounds just like a like a something like some sort of car or something like that, but yeah. So, anyways, do you know nobody in here would have ever thought to go Google that Bible and buy it for me? 
But Keisha knew that's the Bible that I've always wanted. Keisha knew that was my dream Bible. So last year for Father's Day, it, she surprised me with it. If, like, listen, my wife knows me that well, knows to give me a good gift, how much more does my father know me? How much better does my father know me and want me to have good gifts? Right? Your father knows you better than anyone. And he knows the reward that you desire. He knows the reward that you want. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be rewarded with that. Right? That's a beautiful thing. That, and, and listen, are there mysteries here? Absolutely. We could keep on reading in 1 Corinthians 3. There's a lot of mysteries here that we don't quite understand. But, for example, the rewards that we lose out on, maybe it's responsibilities. Maybe it's things we'll, we'll get to do. I, we don't know. We don't understand all that. But what I do know is we're each going to receive a, re- a reward. We're each going to uh, hear thank you from Jesus, and we're going to enjoy eternity, right? We're not going to be sitting there comparing our gifts because Tim's going to be sitting there with all his tools and Paul, and I'm going to be like, boys, no offense, but I, don't, I can't work with tools. I'm not interested. No, thank you, right? We, we're not going to be jealous of one another's gifts. We're going to be thankful for our gifts. We're going to enjoy our gifts, and they're going to be our own. All right? Uh, so here's what, and let me say this. So Jesus, now it is true that Jesus is our, is our corporate reward, right? Every one of us are going to enjoy Jesus for an eternity, heaven for, for an eternity, the new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth for eternity, but he's not our individual reward. And I think that, that's just that's important uh, to point out. Um, let's see here. So, so we see that it's wrong to say works don't matter to God. The problem is, though, that we've been wrong about why works matter, right? Legalism made our works and the idea of judgment all about you're going to stand before God. And, you know, the idea I used to have was there was going to be scales and, you know, well, here you did this, you did this, that was bad. Scales don't go that way. And he's going to say you did this and this, though, that was good. You know, and I'm just hoping that the good outweighs the bad. That used to be my view of Judgment Day. And that's not biblical. That's not New Testament. That's not the New Covenant. Uh, that's, not the thing, that's not the way things are going to work. So here, here's the point. So we see that works aren't for salvation. Works don't maintain our salvation. Uh, we know we'll be judged for our works. But why is it that God wants us to be rich in good works, right? Why does he, why are works so important to him that one day he is going to reward us based on our works, all right? Let's see what the Bible says. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Uh, A little Bible study tip for you when you're trying to, when you're kind of looking at a subject, the way I do things is when I want to know about a subject, the first place I go is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I see what Jesus said about that. The next place I go is I go and see what Paul said about that. The next place is I go to the disciples, Peter, John, James, Jude, and then I go back to the Old Testament, right? And what you will find nine times out of ten, if you'll do that model, you'll find that all these discrepancies and all these differences that you think the Bible had, they, they actually don't. You'll actually find that they almost everyone agree when you put them in line in that order, right? Because listen, Jesus, 
you, you don't top Jesus, right? No, no one comes along and is like, well, I know Jesus said this, but, you know, Paul, he, he had a better understanding. No, you'll find out they said the same thing. And if you think they said something different, you need to get the context and you need to understand. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, notice this. Does Jesus here say that your good works are for your Father? No. Now, he says they'll point people to the Father. But he actually says that your good works actually benefit the people. They benefit others. All right, we're going to go through this quick. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Let's see what Paul says. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Look here. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Notice that thing. Good works are only mentioned for believers. Only believers. You don't hear many grace people say this. Hey, believers, you who believe in God, you need to be careful to maintain good works. It's not about your salvation. Why? Why do I need to be careful? If my works can't save me, if they can't keep me saved, why should I be careful to maintain good works? Look here, he says, these things are profitable. I think it says, I think it says, I think it says. These things are good and profitable to men. So Jesus says, you do good works not for your Father, but so through those works others will see your Father. Paul here tells Titus, he says, listen, you need to be careful. Every believer needs to be careful uh, to maintain good works. Why? Because it's good for people. Do you see that? Uh, verse, let's look at verse 9. It's okay. But of, uh, we don't need that anyways. Uh, so, so Paul says... Good works are for people. Jesus says good works are for people. One more, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. So let's see what, what Peter says here. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You don't have 12, that's okay. And then it says, having, look here. So, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, or unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, look here, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter says the same thing that Paul says. Paul said the same thing Jesus said. They all three say the same thing. The day of visitation would just be, it, would, it could be the day of judgment. There's also another way of looking at it and saying it could, be the, it could just be the day God comes to visit those people through a good work. That makes sense. That's, that's different. But the day of visitation, the way I primarily understand it is a day of judgment. Um, just lost my little fuzzy thing here. Let's see here. That's really late. Well, that's gone. That's done. We're good. So, all right. 
Jesus works for others. Paul works for others. Peter works for others. Now, we're not going to turn there, but you know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that was a verse that used to always... I was brought up in an area where legalism is heavy, right? And so the way people used to bring it out to me, Hebrews chapter 12, 14, we all know this verse, uh, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, right? Now, it used to be brought out to me that if you don't live a holy life, you won't ever see God. The, and the implication being you won't make it to heaven or whatever. But we've already learned in Romans chapter 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 20, every person, every individual is going to see God. Every individual is going to see Jesus. I was so blessed this week as I did my reading, just, just communion, communion with God. 1 John chapter 3 says, For we shall see Him as He is. Right? But what blessed me was those four words. We shall see Him. Have you ever thought about that? We shall see Him. Like right now, we see chaos. Things look crazy. We shall see Him. I'm sure many of us, the other day, you were watching TV. You were seeing, you know, the Supreme Court. What's going on there? One day, though, we're going to look and we shall see Him. Man, that, that's blessed me. I'm going to see Him. Those moments when you sit there and you get frustrated and you think, okay, God, okay, is this even real? Am I, are you even... You will see Him. Do you care? Do you really care? Are you going to do it? You will see Him. Every person will see Him. And if you're a believer, John taught that you actually can have boldness on the day that you see Him. And that you don't have to be afraid when you see Him. But you can stand there bold. Why? Because you know He's not casting you out. He loves you. He's going to reward you. Man, we're going to see Him. We're going to rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. I think that is so, so awesome. And then Revelation 1, that took me to Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, every eye shall see Him. Those who hate Him are going to see Him. But I ain't worried about those people. I will see him. Man, that's good. That's good. But anyways, got off on that. Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So Tim asked about the day of visitation. So think about this. So Jesus says, by your good works, they'll glorify your Father. Uh, and then Peter says, by your good works, they'll glorify your Father. Right? In other words, your good works point people to Jesus. When you come to people, when you love them, when you do good for them, you are in the place of Jesus. And it, as if, it, as, it is as if Jesus Himself is right there with them. Because you are the vessel which He's using. You are His hands, you are His feet. Right? Um, so when it says without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord, here's what it's saying. If you don't live holy, people will never see Jesus through you. Holiness is just holy in action. Yes, you're holy. You, you're, you believed in Jesus, you're holy. But holiness is when you put that holy in action. It's when you live out who you really are. 
when you let the God of love love people through you. That's holiness, right? And that's what we're called to do. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it talks about wives who have husbands who aren't obeying uh, the word, it says. And it says, it tells these wives that you, by your conduct, without a word, can win them. See right here, look here. It says that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, without you telling them how much Jesus loves them, without you uh, or nitpicking, telling them how that's a sin or that's wrong, he says, listen, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So here's what he's saying. You can win people. You will never be saved by your conduct. But your conduct could be the reason that people turn to Jesus. Your good works can't save you, but your good works could be the reason that someone turns to Jesus. Now listen to this. If your good works point people to Jesus, what do you think bad works do? Dead works do. They point people away from Jesus. So we can't sit there and say our conduct doesn't matter, our works don't matter. You're either pointing people to Jesus or away from Him. Because when people know, hey, they go to Grace Point Church on Sunday. Right? And then you're rude to them, they think, okay, you just point them away from Jesus. Right? I had this experience, I've probably shared this before. Years ago, I was a manager at a GNC store in Hazard. And uh, God used to always work out these cool uh, times I get to meet people and get connected with people. And I seen this preacher come, coming in, into the store. And he was, a TV, you know, he was a local TV preacher. And I enjoyed hearing this guy preach. And he had actually just preached at our church like a few nights before, but I wasn't there because I had to work. But I was really excited to meet this guy. Like, I was so excited when I seen him coming in the store. Listen, all the time I worked at that store, that guy was the rudest customer I ever had. I have never met someone that rude. Like, he was awful. You know, like you've heard that don't meet your heroes. He was the perfect example of that. Right? And I've not found that to be true about most believers. But, but you know what I did? I did not judge. Like, I, like the flesh rose up in me for a minute, and I wanted to be like, aren't you that guy, that guy who preaches on TV? Like the flesh rose up for a minute and wanted to be a smart aleck. But, uh, but I didn't say anything. Here's what I did. I took that as, as an example of how I want to trade myself to people. I don't want people seeing me out, me not knowing who they are, but they know who I am. And they say, isn't he supposed to be the preacher and he's that rude? Isn't he supposed to be the preacher and he's that mean to his kids? Right? He's that rude with his wife. I don't want to be that person. I want to point people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Right? And so listen, that guy might have been having a bad day. It's not for me to judge. It's not for me to, to pick on it. Listen, we all have bad days. He might have just been having a bad day. Right? doesn't mean he's a bad person, but... He's butthead, I know that. Uh, yeah, that's it. But let me say this, guys. I understand this because I'm coming to a close, but I understand this principle because, and you guys have heard me share this a lot, I grew up in a truly godly, Bible-loving, Jesus-saved, home. Right? My grandpa was my greatest example growing up, and he loved 
Jesus. He loved the Word. They took me to a church where, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't tied to a denomination. They just believed the Word. They preached the Word. Uh, I was raised in, I honestly don't think I could have handpicked a better family to be raised in. I don't. Like, I truly mean that. And I seen the real deal every day in my life growing up. And I can remember growing up and being around my grandpa. Like I said, he raised me. I can remember being around uh, my great-grandmother, his mother. My two uncles were pastors. I was raised in their churches. And I can remember as I was getting older, like becoming a teenager, I can remember getting around those people and thinking, man, they make me want to serve Jesus. They make me want to live for Jesus. Now, I may not have quite understood salvation and all that, but I knew I wanted what they had. They were the real deal. So when I encountered a rude TV preacher at, at a store, it did not shake me. It did not make me think, that's a bunch of hogwash. Why? Because I'd, seen, I'd lived with the real deal every day for 20 plus years. We need to be that to our family. We need to be that to our kids. We need to be that to our grandkids. Because, listen, your kids, your grandkids, your family, in this world, they are going to encounter the false. They are going to encounter lies about Jesus. They are going to encounter lies about Christianity. They're going to hear people say they love and serve Jesus who treat, treat them awful. But if we're the real deal, if we'll do what Paul told Titus to do and be careful to maintain good works, they won't be shaken. They won't be moved. They'll say, nope, I know that's not Jesus. I've seen Jesus every day in Dad. I've seen Jesus every day in Mom. I've seen Jesus when I came to Grace Point. I know that's not Jesus. Right? That is the importance of maintaining good works. And I just want to bring out one more thing and then we're done. Um, just go to Acts chapter 10 verse 38. But a lot of times when we come into this understanding of grace, what we truly want more than anything is we just want this constant affirmation. This constant, tell me I'm loved, tell me I'm forgiven, tell me I'm cleansed, tell me I'm righteous. These things are good. But Jesus received affirmation from his Father when he was baptized. Remember, it says, The Spirit descended and the voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus did not need that experience the rest every day for the rest of his life. But now he did constantly go and get aside privately and pray. What do you think he was doing? I believe he was receiving affirmation. But look here, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. What was he doing the rest of the time? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. When did that happen? When he received the affirmation. With the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. You are righteous. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are holy. You are justified. Now, go do some good. Go show people Jesus. Like, yes, I'm so, like, I'm so thankful that I'm saved but I want everybody to be saved. And I know that Scripture teaches everyone won't be saved, but I want everyone to be saved, right? I want, I want to point people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. 
So yeah, works don't save us. Works don't keep us saved. But your works could be, your works could be the reason someone else gets saved. Now they won't get saved because of your good works, but your good works would point them to Jesus. Right? That's what I experienced, man. I got saved. God started dealing with me. And and one of my uncles I mentioned, he passed away. And because of the example he always set in my life, it wasn't but a week or two later I accepted Jesus because I just always thought of how I seen Jesus in him and how I wanted what he had. Right? So we can be the reason our works can point people to Jesus. Amen. Has that blessed you guys today? All right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and we're going to...